Look at verse number 20 of 2 Timothy chapter number two. If you're there, say amen. All right, but in a great house, there's not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee lustful use, or excuse me, youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose them. If God peradventure would give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive at, by him at his will. Let's pray. to Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful song service this morning. Thank you, Lord, uh, just for the truth that we sing about. Lord, we don't just sing good songs, but Lord, we sing songs that remind us of biblical truth and biblical promises that anchor us in our everyday life. Lord, I'm so grateful this morning, God, that, Lord, this world is not my home. I am heading up home one day. Lord, to a land that is fairer than day. Lord, there's a place that you've prepared for me and for all those that are saved by the grace of God. And Lord, what a day that's gonna be, Lord, when we finally lay eyes on a place called heaven. Lord, we know that the mansions and the streets of gold and the crystal sea and the walls of precious jewels aren't necessarily what we're looking for. We'll find ourselves around the throne looking eye to eye to the one that saved us by grace. God, what a joy and what a day that's gonna be. And Lord, it's a day that's never going to end and it's never going to get old and it's never going to get tired. And Lord, help that same desire, that same reality, Lord, manifest itself in our life today. And God, we may, never, may we never get tired of church. May we never get tired of our Bibles. May we never get tired of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you hide it behind the cross of Calvary. Lord, you me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with the Spirit of God. God, would you make preaching what you desire it and design it to be this morning Lord, I just want to be an instrument in the hands of the master this morning used for your glory. And I pray, Lord, you take your word, make it personal, make it real to us, make it applicable in our life. And Lord, we give you the glory, we'll give you the praise. There's somebody here that doesn't know you as a personal Lord and Savior. Lord, what a wonderful place they've walked into today, a place, Lord, where they can get saved by the grace of God. Lord, we have a biblical salvation. We have the Bible to prove it to them this morning, that they have a wonderful gift given to them by God. We pray, Lord, this morning you just work in the hearts and lives of your people. But we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may have a seat this morning. Thank you so much for standing and honoring God's word. It makes it a little bit easier for the kids to get in and out of the pews as well. We're so grateful for you to be here this morning. So grateful to have my Bible. But I want you to look at verse number 21 this morning. Right there at the end of it, there's a phrase that stuck out in my mind this week and in my heart this week. And it says, and prepared unto every Good work, and we know today that this week a hurricane came through Florida, tropical storm by the time it got to us, and by the time we were, it was church time, it kind of died down a little bit. But I was watching the coverage Wednesday morning It got up and was watching it on the news and just trying to keep my eye on it and trying to make a wise decision and the best decision for the safety of the people. And I was watching it, and, just, and it was amazing to me. And then I kind of like, am I allowed to do that? 
Because right in the middle of watching the preparation for a hurricane coming through, God began to work a message in my heart as I was watching the, the, the news and watching how the interviews going on. And I was like, Lord, am I allowed to do this? Is this just the right thing to do to watch the news about a hurricane? And, and all of a sudden, you begin to work a message in my heart. But I was watching the news, and it was interesting to me. I began to watch a pattern begin to take place as I was watching the news Wednesday morning as a hurricane, I don't even know how to pronounce hurricane, Adalia came through. Uh, and I was watching it and just amazed me what I began to see. Nobody seemed to be panicked. Nobody seemed to be running around like they had lost all hope. There was no doubt there was damage and no doubt there was winds and there was rain and there was uh, flooding and all that going through. There was damaged property. We know that this morning. And I began to watch and it was, it was, they were showing scenes from the outside and it was almost like utter chaos was going on. Winds blowing, water flowing everywhere that's not supposed to flow. But they interviewed emergency manager after emergency manager, governors and mayors and all these different kind of officials and none of them seemed scared. None of them seemed frightened. None of them seemed, none of them at once uttered, I have no idea what we're going to do. But over and over and over again, I kept hearing this statement, this is what we prepared for. This is exactly what we planned for. And I realized that when there was a preparation that took place, it removed a panic out of the problem or the situation and sometimes we are put, as Christians, we are put into situations in our life that if we are not prepared for, they bring panic, they bring fear, they bring anxiety, and a simple amount of preparation could have aided that or fixed that. And here's the thing, when you and I step into these problems and we step into these situations, we step into these storms, and we have not prepared for them, we only have one plea. God, get me out of this. As fast as you can, as quick as you can, I don't want to be here anymore. But as I was watching those newscasters and those officials interviewed and all that kind of stuff that morning, I began to realize that sometimes that if we were allow God to prepare us for the storms and the trials and the problems of our life, our plea would not be, God, get me out of this as fast as you can, but you'd be able to stand solid-footed in faith and know, God, you have prepared me for this moment, for this trial, for this problem, for this issue. Oh, preacher, I don't know about that. Well, I'd beg to differ. I think about Queen Esther, whose life was on the line it wasn't just a social issue she was facing. She was facing certain death at the hands of the, gall at the gallows and uh, death sentence. And here's what she said. And her uncle tells her, you might just be here for such a time as this. Can I say this morning, it do us all good this morning, the purpose in our heart that I'm gonna allow God to prepare me. Because here's the thing, we don't know what tomorrow holds. I wish tomorrow, I, I could say that tomorrow everything's gonna be wonderful. Everything's gonna be sunshine, rainbows and flowers and pumpkin spice lattes and everything wonderful like that. But who knows what tomorrow holds? You and I don't, but thank God we know the one who does. 
And we could say, God, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but Lord, you do what you began to prepare me now. That way, when it comes, I can stand and say, this is exactly what I prepared for. This is exactly what I planned for. Instead of saying, Lord, just get me out of this. Well, preacher, are there any, are there any situations, are there any trials or problems that God cannot prepare me for? My answer to that would be no. How do you know that, preacher? We'll look at verse number 21. And prepared unto a few good works. Prepared to some good works. What's it saying? Prepared unto every good work. I was sitting over there this morning and just reading it back over my notes. I began to remember Romans 8, 28. I began to remember how the Bible says that he has been a, that hath begun a good work. This is a, pre, a different portion of scripture. But he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And he worketh all things together for uh, their good. And, and we understand this morning that it may not be a good situation. It may not be a, a good time in our life, so to speak. But if we walk into the trial prepared and steadfast and know what the Bible says and know what God is desiring to do in our life, we won't just say, Lord, get me out of it. Well, Lord, we'll be able to say, Lord, this is exactly what you prepared me for. Help me to give you glory in it. Now, don't worry, this morning we're not gonna cover every good work. We'd be here until who knows when. But I wanna give you three areas that I see in 2 Timothy chapter number three that every Christian must be prepared in. I would, you know, Bible calls, they told us to say should be. And you, you should be prepared. Can I say this morning, you must be prepared. You must be. We are going to cover three areas that every Christian must be prepared for. Number one, you must be prepared to answer. You must be prepared to answer. If you flip over well, in your Bible, you might not have to, but if you flip over back over to chapter two, verse number two, we're going to see some things this morning about having to give an answer. You ever been in a situation, you ever, someone ever asked you a question and you thought to yourself, I have no idea what the answer is. Oh, preacher, I, I've never been in that, become a pastor. Because there's sometimes I'm thinking, I have no idea what in the world to tell you. <laughs> but it just, it, it, notice this, it, you just don't know what to say. And can I say, when those times come, the best thing you can honestly is be honest and say, I have no idea what to tell you. Don't stand over here in your super spiritual, as well, <laughs> I know this, right? But rather stand over here and say, listen, I, I, I don't necessarily know the right answer, but just off the top of my head, these are some things I'm considering. These are some things I'm seeing. These are some things I'm observing. But we see here this morning, the Bible does tell us that we are expected to answer some questions, and we see here this morning that, 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 and a lot of times, it is not the, the depth of the question that causes us, our tongue to go silent, but rather it's our lack of preparation. It's our lack of study. It's our lack of being taught and taking in information. And we see two things that Paul tells Timothy or gives to Timothy that helps him be prepared to give an answer. Verse number two, Timothy had a proven example. He said, in the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. 
I don't think Timothy had a little uh, wristband that said WWPD. What would Paul do in this situation? But here's what Timothy had. What did Paul do? What example did Paul live in front of me? What example did Paul teach me? What truth did Paul relay to me? And not just to me, but to everybody else that was willing to listen. And here's the thing this morning, what, what Timothy was saying, he said, listen, I have a proven example. In essence, when there's a question asked, and I'm not necessarily sure about it, I can step back and say, how would Paul answer this question? How would Paul teach this Truth, because Paul didn't just know his Bible, Paul knew how to be a Christian. You've heard it said before that Paul is probably the greatest Christian to ever walk in shoe leather, to ever live. God used him in a mighty way. As a matter of fact, a lot of what we believe and we teach and we, 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 we put into our, in programs into our church and the way we govern ourselves, it came from the pen of Paul on the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But Paul didn't just sit in a desk somewhere and, and sit in a room somewhere and just write the Bible. We understand, go read the book of Acts and you'll find Paul. Paul had a rough time. Paul had a difficult time. Paul faced heartache, tragedy, shipwreck, beat, all those kind of things. And Timothy can look back and say, here's what Paul would have done. He had a proven example. Preacher, how does that apply to me? One of the best things you'll ever do in your Christian life is to admit that you don't know everything and find somebody that you, it's obvious they know more than you do and begin to listen. Just listen to them. You don't always have to give your opinion. I love sitting down and, and fellowshipping with older pastors and preachers. I love bringing them in here because, I mean, you've been preaching for 30 to 40 years. There's, there's a lot that you probably know that I don't know. And when it comes to those situations, I don't dictate the conversation. I don't tell them what I think. I don't tell them all that. I just sit and listen. And here's the thing. A lot of times you'll learn a whole lot more from just listening than you will from talking. Timothy learned how to give the right answer by watching what Paul and listening to what Paul said. He had a proven example. But verse number 15, Timothy also had a proven plan. See, it's one thing to sit and to listen, and a lot of times that's the mentality. I come to church to get fed. I come to church to get fed, and I understand that. The pastors will feed the, feed the flock of God that is among them. But if that's the only part of your Christian study, your Christian life, your Christian intake this morning, can I say you're only participating in half of it? Why, preacher? Timothy had a proven plan. Look at verse number 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Oh, preacher, that's just for pastors and preachers and people in Bible college and, and Sunday school teachers. And Really, preacher, that's for anybody but me. Can I say this morning? That verse is for every Christian. To study the word of God. Right, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Of truth. He told Timothy to study for God's approval, not audiences, not applause, not even appreciation. He said, Timothy, don't study so someone slaps you on the back and says, man, that was a great sermon. He said, you study and you study for God and you allow God to tell you when to start. You, tell, you allow God to tell you when to stop and you study for God's approval. Let me ask you this morning. <laughs> what you do for God and what you do in your personal study, do you do it for God or do you do it for somebody else? It ought not to be for anybody else's approval. 
It ought not to be for, so you can gain somebody's acceptance, but rather you should study with the heart of God. I'm not stopping until you give me what I need for today, for the storm, for the trial, for the answer that I'm going to have to give two weeks from now. God, give me through study what I need. He had a proven plan. It shouldn't be, would the preacher, my parents, or my peers be pleased with my study of God's word, but would God be pleased? Well, that's a convicting question, isn't it? Would God be pleased? When you step back and realize all that God did so that you and I could have the word of God this morning. We understand you go back and you study out the history of our Bible. It didn't just show up on the bookshelf. It didn't just plop out of heaven one day and there it was. Men have died for it. Men have given their life for biblical truth. It's been preached and passed down and carefully translated and carefully preserved so that you and I could have this morning. God took over 40 men over, I think it was 4,000 years to write the word of God and now you and I have it and we step back and we see all that God has put into his own word that we might have it this morning. We have to ask ourselves, how much am I putting into God's word? How much study am I doing myself? He said, Timothy, you need to be prepared to, to give an answer. He had a proven example. He had a proven plan. He also had a posted warning. Preacher, why do we study God's word? To win arguments? No. To look spiritual and to, to be impressive? No. Look at verse number 16. He said, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more godliness. <laughs> In essence, what he was telling, he said, Timothy, don't get stuck on useless knowledge. Can I say there's a lot of, there's some people that know a lot about the word of God, but they have no idea how to use it. <laughs> and so they got their verses and they got their doctrine, they got their, their, their theology and they have no idea what to do with it. Useless talking. Can I say this morning, it, it would be interesting, it'd be informative if I came and told you exactly how many words are in the epistle to Timothy and what year it was written in and where Paul wrote it from and who Timothy was and where he came from and the, the faith that he had gotten from his mom and his Mama, and I, I, I could tell you all about the word of God, but can I say, preaching isn't just telling you about the word of God. Preaching is taking God's word and saying, here's what you do with it. In essence, he was telling Timothy, don't become so full of knowledge that you have no idea what to do with it. You just talk, you vain babbling and talking about it. He had a posted warning of useless talking. He had a posted warning about useless arguments in verse number 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Useless arguments. Some, some people aren't inquisitive. They're just instigators. They're just instigators. They're not looking for information. They're not looking for correction. They're not looking for teaching. They're just looking for an argument. <laughs> and Paul told Timothy, hey, don't worry about them fellows. They'll find somebody else to argue with. I, I, I think social media is a blessing and it's a curse. I'm not sure which one's bigger or littler. Because <laughs> if you watch them, they go back and forth on, well, I'm going to make a YouTube video about this doctrine and then somebody's going to come over, I'm going to make a video about that doctrine, and I'm going to argue that doctrine, and I'm going to argue back and then, and they're arguing back and forth, and nobody's watching it. Nobody cares. Nobody's getting saved by the grace of God off of it. So, well, preacher, if our study is not just to gain knowledge and not to win arguments, why are we told to study the word of God? 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse 15 tells us, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That's a preparation word. 
a preparing word, sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is with you uh, with meekness and fear. In essence, tonight, as, this morning, as you and I study the word of God, it is not so we can have knowledge, it's not so we can win arguments, but rather when God puts us in those situations where somebody needs to know about the hope that is inside of us and it's not my knowledge, it's not my education, it is the Lord Jesus Christ that dwells inside of me and I need to know how to teach that and tell that to them. Posted a warning. The purpose of our study is to give an answer to the hope that is with it. How do you go through something like that and not lose your joy? How do you look at this world and you still have peace? Can I say they don't need a theological debate? They need to know about the hope that is in you. That's where preparation comes in. You must be prepared to give an answer. Let me ask you this morning, how prepared are you to answer the questions about the hope that is in you? You must be prepared to give an answer. Number two, you must be prepared to endure. You must be prepared to endure. Look at verse number three of chapter number two this morning. Thou therefore endure hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you the morning about this morning about the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous aspects about the prosperity gospel? First of all, it's not biblical. But two, it does not prepare you for the reality of life. The reality of life, I know a lot of people who don't face any problems uh, yesterday, they're not going to face any problems today, and they're not going to face any problems tomorrow. Matter of fact, as far as I know, that some haven't faced problems in a hundred or so years. Why, preacher? Because they're in a cemetery somewhere. They're dead. <laughs> but if you have air in your lungs, guess what's waiting on you today? Problems, issues, situations, circumstances. <laughs> and I've heard preachers say, if you got air in your lungs, God still has a plan for you. And I agree with that because I say, if you still got air in your lungs, problems are waiting on you. You better be prepared to endure. The better, the better prepared you are, the more willingly you will endure. Knowing is half the battle, and sometimes we can know how to prepare to endure. You ever watch one of those survival shows and all that kind of stuff, and, and it, they drop old bear grills. They drop them off in the middle of nowhere. How'd the camera crew get there? <laughs> he's all by himself. But he's not, but he is. Drop him off. He has absolutely nothing. How in the world does he survive? It's not because he has a certain utensil or a certain instrument, but he has knowledge. There's been a time of preparation in his life. He's read about and he's thought about and he's studied on how to do things in case he gets in those situations. And when it comes to enduring, the Bible tells him well, there's some things that we can know to help us prepare to endure. First of all, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. How do you know, preach? Look at verse number three. Thou for endure good things. Thou for, thou for in, therefore endure <laughs> fun things. Thou therefore endure birthday parties and celebrations and fifth Sunday and fried chicken and all the good things. He said, thou, thou for endure hardness. Hardness means it's hard. It means to suffer hardships, troubles, to be afflicted. 
Some are just a natural course of life. Difficult times of life, loss, hurt, pain, difficulties. That's just how life is. But we find out in verse number nine, some are directed right towards us. Verse number nine, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even under bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Now, Paul wasn't an evil man. Paul loved the Lord. He served God. He was a faithful man, but he was falsely accused, just like the Lord was. And Paul said, there were some difficult things. He had a thorn in the flesh. And he prayed God thrice that he would remove it. Paul found out his grace was sufficient. And he said, sometimes the the issues of life are just life in general. It's difficulties, it's problems that everybody faces. Yours might just come in a slightly different flavor than mine. Sometimes they're pointed right at us. Here's what's interesting. How did Paul learn that the word of God wasn't bound? By being in a bond himself. And I say there's some things you just can't learn on the mountaintop. There's some things you just can't learn in the success of life. There's some things you just can't learn when everything's going well and wonderful. There's some things that you can only learn like the faithfulness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. You'll learn a whole lot more about those in the difficult times of life than you will the mountaintops. Can I say what makes the mountaintop so wonderful? The valley experience. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard this morning. I'm not going to stand over and tell you that serving God is easy and living Christian life and being separated from the world and, and pleasing God with your actions and your attitude and your words and your life. It's going, to be, it's going to be hard. So prepare for it. Prepare to endure. It's going to be hard. Notice this. It's going to require above average effort. Look at verse number three again. Thou therefore endure hardness as a soldier of Jesus Christ. It's not what your Bible says. There is an adjective right there. Yeah, we're having an English class Sunday morning. (laughs) That word good is an adjective. Therefore, that word good is describing what? The soldier. So it's not just any soldier, but it's a good soldier. Which begs the question, we have a lot of soldiers in God's army, but how many good soldiers do we have? That word good means excellent, commendable, admirable. Ones who are willing to give it their all and give it their their best effort and and not settle for less. One of the things we teach our kids, we, we try to teach our kids is that don't ever settle for okay. Don't ever settle for good enough. Don't ever say, well, I'm better than so-and-so. Strive to give it your best effort. Strive to give it all your, your, your best uh, ideas, your best mentality, your best hope, your best effort. Try to give it your best. My mama had a rule that we didn't have to win the game when we played sports, but we had to try our hardest. She'd say things like this. If you don't come home with a dirty uniform, you didn't play hard enough. What'd you do, preacher? I would throw dirt on my uniform. <laughs> just to make sure. What she didn't realize, she was actually making more work for herself. (laughs) Dirty uniforms got to be washed and cleaned. But they would tell us, it's what we try to instill in our kids, that you, whatever it is, learn to give it your best. Whether it's something insignificant, it's not going to really matter 20 years from now. Learn the principle of giving it your best. We live in a generation that lacks discipline. We live in a generation that, that, that that lacks effort and ethics and all of that kind of stuff this morning. But here, Paul tells Timothy, listen, you better be prepared to endure. I think if real persecution hit America, 
like we read about in foreign countries, our churches would be fallen by the left and the right. Because American church is easy. American church is fun. American church is, 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 it feels good. It's exciting. It's entertaining. I remember hearing Paul Chapel tell a story. He was over in China. He was visiting a house church. And he said that house church had mattresses lined up against the walls to, to not allow the sound to come out. He said he had to go one way to church. Another man had to go another way. That There wasn't groups of them coming in. But one by one, over a time of two to three hours, they finally all made it to the place they were assembled together. He said they began to sing a hymn and they whispered it. The preacher preached, but he whispered. Brother Paul Chapel just sat there, took it all in. He said after the, the church, they were fellowshipping afterwards and just talking quietly amongst themselves. He said one of those Chinese men came up to him and said, Brother Chapel, we hope one day to have church like you do in America. Paul Chapel said, no, don't ever strive for that. He said, because church in America is so shallow sometimes. Paul Chapel said, I, in America, I don't ever go to church with the fear of my life. Somebody coming in and killing me and killing my family and my children. Can I ask you this morning, are you prepared to endure? I'm not talking about persecution. I'm talking about the difficult times in life. When the bottom falls out, are you willing to still walk with God? And endure hardness as not just a soldier, but a good soldier of Jesus. How prepared are you to endure the hardness of life right now? Be prepared to answer. Be prepared to endure. Notice number three this morning. We'll be done. You must be prepared to follow. You must be prepared to follow. Look at verse number 22 of chapter number two this morning. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We often tend to only preach one side of the Christian life. We, we like to harp on all the things we need to stay away from. And I think it's right. I think it's biblical. I think separation from the world is still in your Bible. I think a Christian ought to look weird in society. <laughs> they ought to look different, peculiar. They ought to be able to look, there's something different about them. They, don't, they got something either more than I have or I'm just missing something they completely have. Right, we say, y'all not to do this, y'all not to do that, y'all not to do this, y'all not to do that. That's what Paul said, flee from lustful youth, or youthful lust this morning. Preacher, what does that mean? Immature or childish desires. Those things that when you was a kid, that's all you dreamed about. When I was a kid, one day I thought, boy, I'm gonna win the Super Bowl. I'm gonna win the World Series. I'm gonna win it all. People be like, Deion Sanders, who's that? You ever met Tate Wagner? <laughs> By the time I was in high school, I realized I ain't doing none of that. <laughs> Right, those, those things that we, those, those, those childish things, those immature things, those, those things that we make important that God didn't make important. And a lot of times we preach, flee from those things, and he ought to. But we forget to add on the second part, to follow the right things. Because if all you do is flee, I'm not doing that, but I'm not going that way, then you're just stuck in the middle. Right, the Christian life isn't a standstill life. It is a, I'm leaving this. It's a, it's a repentance life. I'm leaving this and I'm turning after God and I'm following him. And Paul told Timothy, listen, you better be prepared to follow. Don't just leave behind those childish things, Timothy, but follow after God. We see what we're supposed to flee. What are we supposed to 
follow. He said righteousness. Things that are right, doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. In essence, we ought not to be like our children are. How many of you have ever had to make your children do the right thing? Because <laughs> in themselves, they don't have the right thing in them. And so you stop, you sit them down. Hey, listen, we're going to do it this way. We're going to do it that way because it's the right thing to do. And I think sometimes that's what God has to do with us. When we ought to be saying, all right, Lord, whatever you want. I'm willing to do right because it's the right thing to do. Oh, preach, you need to preach on that more. You should have been here Wednesday night. Righteousness. Faith. Trusting God's instruction and direction. Not a mere feeling, but founded upon the word of God. Paul was telling Timothy, listen, Timothy, you can't trust your feelings. And can I say, in the ministry, in the Christian life in general, your feelings will lead you in the wrong direction 100% of the time. Because your feelings aren't from God. <laughs> your feelings are from yourself. We've been talking about it in Sunday school that Disney lied to us our entire life. Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. You gotta find the right person. You gotta go do this. You gotta do that. And we, we talked about how this morning we talked, y'all about have preaching in Sunday school all at the same time. Talking about how God works in paradoxes to present his principles. In order to find the right person, isn't really about finding the right person, it's becoming the right person. Because you can't fix nobody, you can't change nobody. And he was telling Timothy, hey Timothy, you can't live and you can't follow God merely on feeling. You gotta have faith. Because there's gonna come a time where your feelings ain't gonna match up with the word of God. You wanna look around and say, oh he said he's good, but it don't seem like I can't find nothing good right now. He's faithful, but I can't seem to find him. He loves me, but I feel so unloved right now. That's where you gotta step out of your feelings into faith. Be prepared to follow faith instead of your feelings. Charity, agape, Christ-like love, sacrificial love. Oh, the Beatles sang about all we need is love. Well, my father will be proud of me this morning. I worked the Beatles into a sermon. All we need is love. The only problem is the world don't know what, what love is. They don't know what real love is. They don't know what kind of love. And yet, if we follow after God and we allow God's love, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, it's been given to us. We love him because he first loved us and it flows out. Do you realize this morning that you and I as born again children of God, uh, saved by the grace of God, who've experienced the true love of God, we're the only hope the world has of knowing what real love is. And oftentimes we quit following that to try to line up with the world's love. Righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Look at verse number 22, peace. Safety, security, assurance. Not at peace with others, that requires compromise. Right, not at peace with others, that, that requires peace with God and at peace of who we are in Christ. This is Timothy was saying, hey, Paul was saying, hey, Timothy, you gotta learn to follow God. But in the midst of that, Timothy, you're gonna have to learn who you actually are in Christ and realize that nothing you do and nothing you achieve and nothing you say and, and, and nothing you accomplish is going to impress God. Or nothing you do, God's gonna step back and say, I didn't know he could do that. Surprise, God. But realize this morning that when you got saved by the grace of God, you are forever God's, you already are accepted by him. You're already at peace with him. Learn to follow. 
Not just these righteousness, faith, charity, peace, but notice this in verse number 22. He said you got to learn to follow a common crowd with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't just run with anybody. Don't have close fellowship with just anybody. Make sure they're following God in his instructions. Just like we told those young people in Sunday school. You will become who your friends are. No, preacher, not me. You will. My dad had a statement. I don't know how many times he said it to us growing up. He said, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. Can I say this morning, we've got to learn to follow the right crowd. There's a lot of different crowds under the the, the heading of Christianity in America this morning. There's a lot of different crowds in in the heading of Baptists this morning. We've got to realize that I'm not just going to run with anybody. I'm not just going to rub elbows with anybody. I'm not just going to fellowship with anybody. Listen, this pulpit at South Haven Baptist Church, it is not a favor place. It is not where I'm trying to win men's approval and try to become friends with somebody. This is a sacred place. This is a holy place. Going to church and preaching the word of God is a a holy thing this morning. And those who stand behind here and those that I'm going to fellowship and those that you ought to desire your fellowship ought not just to be run of the mill. They ought to be serious about living for God. Run with a common crowd that pray and seek. What does it say right there? In verse number 22, that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Make sure they're following God and his instructions. <laughs> Our doors aren't magical this morning. What do you mean by that, preacher? I'm saying when somebody walks in those doors, they automatically don't become a spiritual person they automatically don't become a sold-out Christian. They automatically don't become a, a, a somebody that you ought, to, you ought to yoke up with. It takes discernment. It takes the Holy Ghost in your life. Let me ask you are, you, are you prepared to follow God by following the things of God with the people of God according to the Word of God this morning? We have to be prepared to give an answer. We have to be prepared to endure. We have to be prepared to follow. Let me ask you this morning if Hurricane Adalia came through your life this morning. And that news reporter stuck that microphone in your face or did the Zoom call. And they said, how are things going? Would you be honest and be able to say, you know what, God's prepared me for this. He's made me ready for this. Give me the answer. He's given me the direction. He's given me the purpose. Or would you be screaming back to them, just get me out of here. Just get me out of here. Just get me out of here. Let me ask you, how prepared are you? Paul told Timothy to be prepared, and I tell you this morning, be prepared. Let's all stand this morning.